0: Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. And I'm Patrick
1: Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston.
0: So what's going on, Patrick? We're doing another devmode stand-up, which is where we're streaming live video. We've got we are. Out. We had
1: great feedback on the first one. I thought it went well, so I figured we'd try it again.
0: I mean, <laughs> given the way everything was thrown together, it's a miracle it worked as well as it did. Yep.
1: Same goes for this one. Um <laughs> Yeah, I was running a little bit late, but uh, this looks like it's working. Go to YouTube if you want the full unedited Technical Difficulties edition.
0: Oh, but that doesn't even cover the half of it. That's got to cover the before you connect part, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Stuck in the green room. I didn't get my red M&M, so I wasn't going to come out.
0: So I feel like we should update people from the the last time that we talked about a couple of things. So first of all, the one thing is you have now lived with your M1 MacBook Air for a little while. I have. You've guzzled the Kool-Aid. So tell us. How does it taste? Yeah, I love it. It's funny,
1: I think it was John Morton last time around was asking how it was, how was it going? And I was a little bit lukewarm on it when it came to development. I have since completely given up Intel CPUs and I'm living at, on the M1 all day. It's plugged in here, I kind of have it semi dock. I don't have a good Thunderbolt 4 hub, which I'd like to eventually get because right now I'm not on hardwired internet, but I'm sure that's gonna be fine for a video podcast. And just today I put my old Mac mini on eBay. I am done with that computer. Yeah, it's been working really well. Honestly, when you have Docker images, and this is going back to development specifically, when you have Docker images that are ARM64 compatible, it runs like lightning. A little bit of a letdown. One of my favorite Docker image providers, NY Studio 107 group, they're AMD only right now. So theirs kind of run less than fast. Those are the only ones that are
0: running slowly. So, so Andrew, so when, see, when are you gonna? Let me see if I got this correct, Patrick. <laughs> let me see if I got this correct. So you are using my Docker setup and you're, using, and you're using my scaffolding and I you're am. throwing shade at me, okay? Massive shade, yeah. <laughs> How about this? How about this for an answer? PRs are welcome, my man. I don't think this is
1: something I can PR. I don't think it's something I PR. So I've been digging into this and it looks like you may need to do some sort of a CLI thing that tells Docker, hey, please go ahead and start offering up my stuff on ARM. There's something called BuildX that they have out there where you basically get to tell them, I want to run on AMD and ARM, essentially saying all of the things that I'm pulling in on Docker will run on these platforms and they'll then go and try to generate those images for you.
0: Okay, I think you're talking about, is it BuildX, right? The thing is, the CLI yeah. thing yep. is called? That, that's yep. the thing that they're marking as experimental, right? A little bit,
1: yeah. I, I, it's all I can tell right now in terms of how to get it set up, but I right. desperately need you to make these run faster.
0: Well, I just want to make sure we're clear that you're giving me crap for something that I created that you're leveraging, that's saving you tons of time, that is not doing what you want on a platform that I don't even use right now. Using an forgetting- exper- Using an experimental functionality is what you're giving me just the fact that i
1: was i believe your second github sponsor so i own a piece of this development <laughs> if, uh, if, if that is really how done. this if that really is how
0: this goes if that's really how this works i'm gonna have to shut down that whole sponsorship <laughs> thing i'm just gonna have to like end it end it right now yeah. you know what i mean yeah okay so but what does this do what what will making it assuming that i do this which i'm not going to do honestly you will you will you have to no i'm not going the to m1 do m1 hordes are coming whenever i get an m1 machine then i will be probably do it but pr- right. prior to that don't bet on it i have nothing to test it on and how I'm would just i just even know if it works yeah, i'll
1: do the testing for you <laughs> uh, yeah i mean right now essentially i think all of it and, and this gets further into how docker runs on the mac it's essentially running a VM anyway, and then inside that VM, it's then running right now AMD code rather than ARM code, which would execute at a much higher speed. Right. Uh, it, it's interesting though. The, I, I have a few Docker setups that are doing the full build right in the Docker file, not using any pre-existing images aside from like the PHP 7.4 standard one. So a whole lot happens when you do your build. Those run, it, it feels like native. You know, it feels like I'm running Valet. It's really neat.
0: Let me know, tell me what is stopping you from you being able to do this. Why am I the only one that can do it? I don't understand.
1: Oh, uh, if I forked your Docker images repo and set up my own hub.docker.com thingamajig, I guess I could then. i have to play around with it. But I think right now, if you navigate over to, is it hub.docker.com slash mystudio, you'll see that everything on yours is listed for AMD only.
0: So no changes would have to be made to the images. You're talking about something I got to do on my end when I build the image and then push it and tag it is what you're saying. Exactly, nothing
1: will change on GitHub in the Docker files themselves. More that you're saying, hey, here's a compiled for arm version. I don't know if it goes into like the automated build setup or if it has to be done on the CLI. I haven't found that yet. This is all new stuff.
0: I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd be open to it. If you want to set up a time where you and I tuple together and and try to get this working, I don't have a problem with that. It sounds relatively easy, you know? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so M1, I,
1: and the funny other thing is that around the time of .all Montreal, I've been running on two computers, having the what was the Mac Mini plugged in here all the time as my desktop unmoving computer.
0: Is that a cage? Um, you keep your kids in a cage? Oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to switch off this view real quick. Oh, you can, still, oh, you can see. still see the cage. All right, never mind. Yeah,
1: so it's funny. I, I was running on both a, a laptop and a desktop computer for a while, and it was always nagging me a little bit that when you're running like that, you always have in the back of your head, oh, did I, you know, was that Docker container database up to date on one computer, but not the other? You're switching all the time and never quite getting into a state. With this, the, this little 13 inch MacBook Air is so light and easy. I can just unplug the two USB C ports I have. Bring it upstairs and all of my windows are open. Everything's the way I want it. I'm also liking not kind of context switching between two computers, which isn't due to the M1, but maybe is due to it. The MacBook Air just being that much smaller and lighter compared to the old 16 inch I had. So, yeah, I put the, the Mac Mini up for sale today. I can send, we can put the eBay, eBay link in the show notes if anyone wants to buy it. a so lotograph and everything.
0: So, you would say to anyone who's listening that is interested in using an M1 Mac, you would uh-huh. say to them that, uh, you know, the time is now.
1: Yep. Yeah, very much so. I don't know if it's what they've done with Docker desktop over the last couple of weeks, or just the fact that I've stopped using the NY Studio Docker images so much, but it's really nice.
0: It has nothing to do with it. You're so full <laughs> of it. So it's pretty drastic. It. It's pretty drastic. No, it doesn't. It's, it's very it, drastic. What What are you talking about in terms of the speed? Are you talking about the speed of the images because they're emulated on your machine, or what are you talking about? Exactly, exactly. Oh, yeah. Okay. So
1: just loading the Craft dashboard takes maybe you know a quarter second on the ARM PHP build, and maybe three or four seconds, five seconds on oh, the. That's really slow, though. That's really <sighs> no, slow, when you're though. when you're a state and you just say, oh, and you know
0: it could be faster. No, no, no. Uh, what I, what I'm saying is when I'm loading the CP running Docker, it's mm-hmm. under a second. Exactly. Like, yeah. So quick.
1: it is magnitude. You know, slower on the non-optimized version. So, right. Yeah, maybe we'll maybe for our, our third standup we'll we'll have the results of that.
0: Well, I mean, and that makes sense. It's because of it. It has nothing to stop disparaging me. It has nothing to do <laughs> with the fact that it's my images. It's that the images are not native. Is all that it is. Yep. <sighs> god's sake so i'm gonna answer just a question from ben real quick in chat he's he's asking me what kind of camera am i using mm. and so this is a a black magic some kind of fancy something or other kind of thing that is kind of unreasonable for me to be using given <laughs> <laughs> given that i don't make my living doing streaming stuff but i am doing more of streaming with uh ryan and I don't know. It's kind of nice to have a setup that I can just turn on and I know it's going to work. Everything's all dialed in. I got my bokeh stuff going on, you know? Yeah, from what I understand,
1: it, it it's a little bit overkill, but I'm also a little jealous. I've got a, a 4K Logitech Brio, which yeah. I'm like, oh, 4K, this will terrific. But it, it it doesn't have that nice, smooth effect. And I mean, you've got lighting going on, you have makeup on to, you know.
0: Well, and that's the, I mean, I could switch back and forth. I, I do have a Logitech 4K webcam, but there's no, there's no comparison. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's just That's so much it. nicer. Yeah. It's a DSLR. So Matt Wilcox is saying that it's not a webcam and and, and he's right. I mean, it's a DSLR basically is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, I don't know. It's, it's nice because I've got a nice lens dialed in. So I get the bokeh, the blurred background effect and I got it fixed right above my monitor here. So I just come in, I turn everything on and everything just works. You know, yeah. I am Go not going to get an M1. Until they come out with the 15 inch MacBook Pro models. And uh-huh. I need, I know you say I don't need it, but I want 64 gigs of RAM. And I really,
1: I i mean, I would rather have the RAM than not have it. It's interesting. I'm wondering if it's because it's essentially a system on a chip now and the RAM is on package with the CPU and everything else. Doesn't matter. The storage is, but even when I see it using swap, I'm never actually feeling like you get to that place where you're like, oh man, why is everything churning? Why is, you know, why is there slowdown going on there are times where i see that swap is getting used but i've never felt it like it's one of those if you're using swap and no one actually sees you using swap did you ever use that on a, on an m1
0: if you are yeah. swapping you will notice and it will be a massive difference i haven't i haven't i i have
1: swapped these these m1s are really impressive
0: yeah well I'm just saying I'm not saying you are I'm saying if you start doing stuff and the way that I work I think is we determine it's very different from you like I've got a half dozen or more PHP storm windows open I've got a a ridiculous number of tabs that are going on Mm -hmm. it's not going to matter that the RAM is on chip or not you only have so much RAM and when it's out of RAM it Mm -hmm. swaps and it swaps to the VM or sorry it swaps to the SSD.
1: Right now I'm using 4.2 gigabytes of swap, which I know is just terrifying to you, but everything is running without issue, without slowdown. I'm driving this 5120 by 1440 monitor at 120 Hertz. This, This computer is ridiculous.
0: Well, swap is a little bit misunderstood. So a swap out is not that big of a deal. It's not Mm. that costly. So basically what happens when you swap out is the system says, okay, I need more RAM. And then it finds some blocks that haven't been used for a while and it swaps those out. Mm -hmm. A swap in is actually very costly because the system needs that RAM now and everything blocks until it can read that RAM in from disk and do something with it. So it's a little bit tricky to to read and figure out exactly what you're running into. But if you start to see lots of page ins, that's when Mm. I would start to say, okay, we're probably swapping. And again, it's fine. Like, you know, obviously all these computer Mac manufacturers, they make different computers because people work differently. All right. It's totally fine that you work differently than me. It's not not a big deal. I'm just saying for me personally, I need more than 16 gigs. I know myself. I'm a slob. Stuff is everywhere. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to, I'm not going to close every app that i'm not running yeah and it actually blows my mind because we were talking to people in discord i think and there are some people that actually turn their computers off at night like shut them down and i'm like what yeah. like who does that <laughs> like,
1: yeah no i once every couple months maybe i'll shut it down if it it has to run an update or something but never
0: yeah. i don't even do that man my desktop computer i've got Go. the power setting the power saving settings and all that kind of stuff i just walk away and my laptop computer i just shut the lid like i i literally never ever shut those Computers down, and I don't yeah. understand people that I don't get it. Like I don't get the argument for doing that. You you take so long getting everything set up and open the way you want it to. Any power savings you get would be so tiny, or you probably don't even get any savings because everything's got to reboot, everything's got to get recached. Like it's just it's just brutal. Ben says he restarts his computer twice a week. Why? Hmm. <laughs> why Ben? Why? That's yeah. why. So interestingly, <laughs> I reformat my Mac
1: maybe twice a year. Have we talked about this? Why? You get a new kid. You need that. Imagine if with your car, you could get that new car smell back. Twice a year, you could just go through a half day's worth of discomfort and have it be... Freshly detailed, new car smell right off the lot fresh. That's why, you know, I can literally, I have it scripted to this point where I have an entire homebrew setup where it'll go and install every app I need. I, I have things that are copied over onto my home Synology server so I can sync back down all my SSH keys and repos and whatnot. Yeah, like twice a year, I like to nuke my Mac.
0: This just sounds horrible to me
1: terrific it it makes you just reassess what applications you really need installed if there's weird things that have happened in keychain or wherever else it it just clears that out it's stinks for about a day and a half
0: maybe okay so here's here's what it is patrick you're you're the (laughs) dude that takes his trans am out and he brings it outside and he he waxes it by hand you know a couple times (laughs) a year you, you pull that trans am out you're out there you're buffing it you're waxing it and you pull it back in me I just get in my car and I drive it places. Like, literally, I do nothing. If I go yeah, to have Yeah, but you've got, you've got, you know, French fry wrappers over here. You've got the kids' no. drinks and rattle around the back. No, 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 You need no, to clear no, no, that no, no, stuff no. out. You need to clear no, that no, out. No, 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 I keep my I keep my car clean, man. I All keep right. it clean, but I'm saying that in other words, I'm not, I'm more, it's weird because I've been so into computers for so long, but I'm more utilitarian about it. I'm like, okay, well, I want this thing to work for me and anything like made to work like that just sounds terrible. Like the idea yeah. of reformatting it twice yeah. a year sounds like yeah, I would rather kill myself than do that. I, I would take I up another profession. S-
1: I will say since I've gotten into Docker now, it's probably less needed than it used to be when yeah. i used to have valet and weird installs of php going on all over the well, place that's
0: because you're using the wrong tool though you know well it
1: was now, now yeah. it's all in docker and i can just nuke the whole thing do a yeah. sys- volume prune system prune and it's all cleaned up
0: and again that is the striking difference between dockerizing stuff where you containerize <laughs> everything and kind of just installing it locally and i get the reasons for installing stuff locally It's the promise of getting things up and running quickly, but it's always, always costed me way more time to do stuff that way. And I'm not going to get into forcing people to use Docker because it is a big ask to learn it Uh and to, to get up to speed with it. But... Once you do, man, it's just so much nicer. You just don't have to worry about all the crap. You don't have to have scripts installed. You don't have to reformat your computer twice a year or do other crazy stuff.
1: Yeah, especially Docker Compose. Just having that one file, one command, it's up and running. Yeah, it's been a a big game changer for me.
0: Yeah, and and Mark is saying that he only reboots when stuff doesn't work. And Yeah, same with me. I reboot when I'm forced to. And actually I get angry. Like, I'll install some software and it'll install a kernel extension or something and it will say, you have to reboot. And I know for a fact (laughs) that you don't have to because you can dynamically load and unload kernel extensions. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of times I actually just force kill the installer and I manually <laughs> and I manually dynamically load the kernel extension. I, I try not to reboot. Like I go out of my way.
1: Do you have a record for how long you're uh you've kept something up for? Months,
0: year? No, I don't even bother with that because the problem with that is you do get software updates and Mm -hmm. they've gotten really good about annoying me to the point where I'm like, fine, (laughs) Mm, you want me to update? I will update. Okay, fine. But that's really the only time I reboot is when I update, you know? So you would recommend it. Now, what is your reasoning for not waiting for a 15 inch? Did you actually want a lighter form factor?
1: In a perfect world, I would have the, sorry, I mean, I could have done a 15, no, what what do they have? They have a thirteen inch MacBook Pro, but it had the Touch Bar, and I have no interest in getting another Touch Bar Mac. I could have, I, I kind of, I always go back and forth between thirteen and fifteen, or now sixteen. Now I'm back on thirteen. I'm pretty happy with it. It's my first Air, and it's just super light. So I think it, it's pretty nice. Like you, you hold it in your hand, and you honestly don't feel like it, you're holding a computer. My only complaint is that there. I wish there were two more of the thunderbolt or even USB-C ports on the side of it there are only two and i need to figure that out at some point so that i can get everything plugged in that i want plugged in
0: now is the reason why you went ended up going with this thing is it because you're becoming an executive and you don't really code anymore you're becoming a <laughs> cto no I,
1: i'm i'm coding way more on this thing than i probably was in the weeks prior and part of that's because i'm not switching computers all the time no that that's that, that's completely uncalled for <laughs> no
0: it's
1: a terrific computer i I don't need the bigger screen i'm not as large a person as you no it's a it's a great my only downfall of it the only downside is really the i wish there were a couple more ports on it yeah i mean basically my intel one was rapidly depreciating in value if you watched where you can sell computers i use swap up quite a bit kind of like ebay but nicer same thing with my mac mini that's kind of dropping in value and now that i've just had it unplugged for the last week and a half i said okay Clearly, don't need this computer anymore. Let me toss or let me sell it.
0: All right. Well, fair enough. Anyway, that's enough yeah. on the, the M1 Max. They sound awesome. I mean, they're really part, nice. Yeah. Part of me is just, uh, you know, as someone who's been through so many Apple processor transitions, I'm just like, oh, for God's sake, like another one, really? Are we doing it's this? It's impressive. Again?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think this is going to be it for a very long time. And I think it'll be then be M1X or M2 or whatever. But yeah, clearly they're interested in owning more and more of the, the hardware stack. And yeah, smart.
0: So let's get talking about something else that you and I were kind of chatting about. So you sent me a message and you were all excited about some rumor about an Apple car,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you have a tassel, so I know you're big on the electric cars um this one i'm trying to remember exactly what they were talking about i know they were saying that hyundai would be the manufacturer yeah this came out just yesterday someone who's a securities analyst had some sort of a heads up on it yeah they were saying you know 310 mile mile range i think 160 mile per hour top speed granted this is all some deep rumor about something that's years away but yeah we were talking more that it's not just figuring out how to make the car and all that but doing it at scale and getting the logistics right and the things that tesla struggled for years with and I think still struggles in some ways. People talk about inconsistent gaps in the space between panels and whatnot on the exterior. But the thought there is that Apple would have a problem there kind of Doing everything that comes with that, I'm less concerned about it.
0: I'm a little concerned about it. So, as you mentioned, I've I've got a Tesla. I love it. Mm-hmm. I've only had it like six months. It's probably the yep. most practical car that I've ever owned mm-hmm. because there is an incredible amount of storage space in it. Because there's a lot of crap that you just don't have. Yep. So there's there's storage up front. There's storage in the back. I don't really go that far most of the time. You know, I'm just like putzing around town doing this, that, or the other thing. And it's fantastic for that. The reason why I'm a little bit skeptical about the Apple car is just how much lead time that Tesla has had building the technology and the infrastructure. And then you look at like every, okay, electric cars are inevitable. Okay, whether it's Tesla or some other brand, like everyone's going to be driving them at some mm-hmm. point soon. But even the big manufacturers that have a whole lot of experience and a whole lot of money have put out some really underwhelming electric cars. There's some hybrid cars that are are not bad, but mm-hmm. the electric-only car- cars that I've seen from other manufacturers have really just not been great. And oh. you have in
1: mind, yeah? My, my wife has the e-Golf. It's the Volkswagen, essentially it's the Volkswagen Golf. People have called it. A- a compliance car they basically made it because you well <laughs> no it, it they, sounds they made like it really they, got, they got caught cheating on the uh the testing that's no no they had no to make it. not quite no that's a whole other issue with them it's because to sell in california if i remember correctly you have to have like some model be electric i think that's the story behind compliance cars so some of them went and you know they have like the chevy bolt or whatever it might be like a full you know engineered from the ground up to the electric car and some of them said okay can we just almost like the M1 Mac. Some of these models, there were no hardware changes except that the CPU is different. Mm. And in these cars, they basically said, okay, let's just take out the gasoline engine. Let's put in an electric engine. Obviously, the dashboard changes a little bit for some of that. It is, in every essence, a Golf, aside from the fact that it's running as an electric car. You know, they, they didn't come up with a new model to, you know, say, here's our electric entry. They basically reworked an existing model. We test drove a Chevy Bolt. and It's a weird car. Like, I almost feel like they think that, Anyone who's into an electric car is going to want a, a quirky, funny, look at me, I drive electric type vehicle. But most people want to look good when they're in their car. They want it to perform well, but they don't want people to look at them like, oh, you're driving that BMW i Series or whatever that thing was. And that's where I think Tesla's done well. You know, Tesla's, they're gorgeous cars as well as really well engineered electric vehicles, but they also just look like great vehicles, period.
0: Right. You you want a car that happens to be electric. You don't want some crazy device that they're trying to make look all cyborg and cool and kind of stuff, right? I mean, who, who yeah. cares, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, okay, so specifically regarding Apple, though, I just think that... Apple. I know they're rumored to be partnering with Hyundai and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's more that are they actually going to produce an Apple branded car, or are they going to be taking CarPlay to the point where it's going to be the operating system of the car that they then license out to other people? Or or what? Or what they're as much as I love
1: CarPlay, ooh, I don't know. Yeah, having everything be a giant touch pound thing might be a little bit weird. But um, you know what I'm saying.
0: Is there endgame to make their own? iCar or is it to make the operating system and software that, that runs on them? Or what do you think? What do you think their end game there?
1: I mean, I'm sure you remember like the Motorola rocker, the iTunes enabled Motorola flip phone back in 2005 or Uh, something a little bit before. uh, Did you have one? No. Okay, I don't think this is going to be like this, where they're just like, "Hey, put our, a little bit of our software in as the infotainment takeover," but Hyundai still gets to sell the Hyundai iCar or the Hyundai Apple. I. You know, I feel like they're going to want to really own it and say, "This is the Apple Car. Come see it at your nearest Hyundai dealership or something." Who knows? Maybe they'll. Hyundai has the the Genesis brand, which is kind of Hyundai is to Genesis as Toyota is to Lexus. Maybe they'll do something like that where it's its its own brand behind the scenes, Hyundai's factories and plants are the ones rolling them off the line, but it is its own brand. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't imagine they're going to start an entire logistics and manufacturing for something right off the bat, but maybe they would. This does seem like a good way for them to get into the market with someone that already has dealerships everywhere, plants everywhere, but they're Apple, so they can kind of say, and here's, here are, if you want to be the one that's making a good amount of money on every car that goes off the lot, here's how it's going to be.
0: You made an interesting point to me, which is that people also didn't give Apple any credit that they were gonna be able to come in and just start selling phones for instance, so mm-hmm. because you know, there was a quote from the CEO of BlackBerry or something. So you can't just um, come in here yeah. and start making phones. We've been AMC making phones for years. guys are not years. gonna just figure this out. They're yeah. not just gonna
1: walk in. And uh Steve right. Ballmer, uh, way back, had his whole thing just laughing about the iPhone, saying it's $600 and it doesn't have a keyboard, blah, blah, blah. Zoom, um, biatch, Zoom, okay? <laughs> I wanted the brown Zoom back in the day. I, I, I like that <laughs> thing.
0: But I, I understand what you're saying in terms of they have a history of being able to go into another market and do something with it. Although I would say that the phone market is more of a lateral move than a car would be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. from, because I mean, it's just a mobile computer in a lot of ways. Not to downplay any of the innovation or stuff that they did there, but lest you forget, like you, you seem very bullish on Apple's ability to produce this iCar that's going to be this just awesome thing. Lest you forget, Patrick, do you remember what Keyboards. the... What the Pippin pippin was? I don't remember the Pippin. I remember the the iPod Hi-Fi. What is the Pippin? Apple Pippin was their play to take over the gaming world. It was a console. And I remember (laughs) it well because they were pitching at us to develop for this thing. And it was just a massive failure. It went absolutely nowhere. Nothing happened with it. That's probably why you don't know about it. They probably... Yeah, I'm think... looking at this now. Hmm, yeah. uh, it kind
1: of looks like the uh, Dreamcast. A, a little except bit. Except with like a PS5-like controller.
0: But it was their bid to get into the console market. And they, yeah, they... it was 1996. Non-Steve Jobs years don't count. And they pushed it really, really hard. They pushed it really hard. No. I, ha- I hate to say it, but this is a non-Steve Jobs year, just so you know. <sighs> yeah, but he's a spiritual
1: successor. We're, we're still uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the post-Jobs era is not... Anyway.
0: Yeah, anyway, I know all about the Pippin. That was a massive failure, okay? Yeah, but was it a
1: massive failure? Or was it because you were so
0: close to the Apple? Because I guarantee if you stop 100
1: people on the street and say, what do you think of the Apple Pippin? They would say, what the hell are you talking about? But if you ask them about the Sega Saturn or something like that, they're like, oh yeah, that was that system that didn't sell. Like clearly it couldn't have been that much of a failure if it never, like if the rocket never got off the launch pad, I mean, yes, it failed, but it also never even tried to take off. what,
0: What happened is hundreds of millions of dollars were sunk into the, the rocket and a whole bunch yeah. of people were let on board <laughs> and the rocket exploded on the launch pad and blew everyone up is what happened. Uh,
1: in May um, 2006, the Pippin was listed 22nd in PC World's list of the 25 <laughs> worst tech products of all time.
0: Well, okay, and let's 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 do another one. Do you let's see how good your your Apple memory is. Do you remember the Apple Newton?
1: I do remember the Newton. It was amazing before it's time.
0: I mean, it was before its time, but it also... And Recognition just finally came to the iPad in the last year. The Newton was way ahead of that. You, if something fundamentally doesn't work, I don't think you can <laughs> say it's ahead of its time. Did yeah. you ever write with one of those things? Uh, no, no. I, I, Have you ever been frustrated correcting Siri when Siri gets some words wrong? Quite a bit, yeah. Imagine that times about 100 when you're trying yeah, to write. I had, write a, I you... had <laughs> a Palm <laughs> Pilot
1: back in the day with the stent, you know, the... I can't remember. They had their own name for their typographical language for a palm. I can't remember what it was called.
0: Oh, like, uh, yeah, it was like cuneiform or hieroglyphs or something like that. Um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They actually wanted you to to write in. They were essentially developing a new alphabet and they wanted you to write using it. Graffiti. Graffiti. That's it. Graffiti. I knew
1: all the letters for graffiti.
0: Well, they ended up, I think they ended up bringing graffiti over to the Newton at one point before it ended up dying a horrible death. Anyway, my point is Apple has had their share of spectacular failures that people want to forget in markets that are a lot less ambitious than entering the car market. That's why I'm a little skeptical about it.
1: Yeah. 15 plus years though. I mean, I, I don't think they've had a real whopper like that in a while. Do you remember? HomePod, I, the HomePod has been pretty middling. I have the Home, HomePod and HomePod Mini because I'm, you know, an Apple devotee. Do you remember it's the fine. Apple Hi-Fi? Yes. Yeah, that yeah, was, or the socks for uh for the iPods. But I, yeah, I, I remember I the Hi-Fi.
0: Know, I'm actually friends with the person that was the, the product manager for the Hi-Fi.
1: For the socks? Or, oh, for the Hi-Fi. fi I'm sorry, Cassie. I, th- I, hope <laughs> moved, I, think, I think she's moved on to other stuff now, though. Anyway,
0: so it, it, this comes out. The Apple car comes out day one. You're just going to hop on and buy it the way you did the M1? Uh, it depends i mean that's
1: a big purchase and that's the other thing is that you know it's not something you buy every year you know i mean maybe might maybe level leasing program that does make people uh, go in and out um i'd i'd strongly consider it i mean i bought a minivan because yeah, I'm, I drive a minivan now a couple of years ago. So I'm not due for at least a few years, which eh, that would time up pretty well with this Is saying 2025 is when it's going to come out. It's a possibility. It depends. But I, I'd probably want a bigger vehicle than a, a small sedan, which is my guess as to what it would be.
0: Because even the, the leaked specs that were on that, I mean, it's probably fine for mm-hmm. the, the type of people that are going to want something like that. It's probably fine. The 300 mile range is probably fine. That's what the range is on mine. It's like a 310 mile range, something like that. Mm-hmm yeah t- totally fine you know for yep. the majority of stuff that i do but tesla they they just released the model s plaid plus or something 520 miles man that's a lot 500 what's the plaid miles. thing what is the plaid
1: thing isn't that a joke at this point I, I was reading something about the whole plaid thing
0: no it's sort of like their s line you know what i mean in other words yeah. it's like their enhanced whatever but all i'm saying is if they're doing that now where are they going to be in four years you know what i mean
1: you know elon musk it just worries me i don't know something about that
0: that guy <laughs> worries me a lot well i i understand what you're saying but you're you're buying the car you're not buying the person there are plenty True. ceos that if you met them in person you'd be like oh this person's a dick mm. but that doesn't mean that their product's not going to be a good thing i guess i knew We've people met- that work directly for steve jobs and you know i'm not disparaging people that are no longer with us but they they thought he was an asshole. You know? oh sure and but he got part- results so yeah And part of that may be personality conflicts and all that kind of stuff. Well, all I'm saying is I could say the same thing. Well, you may not like Elon, but he gets results.
1: Yeah. You know, so. Some securities fraud. Yeah. (laughs) We have Matt Matt Wilcox in the chat. Apple hasn't been able to build a laptop keyboard worth a damn for five years. Uh, I'm interested if he's including the kind of everything they've done in the last year I mean those I feel like are finally getting back to where they should have been I don't know if it's just a logistics thing where they it takes them that long to make a big hardware change like the keyboards or if they just kept on thinking oh we've got to fix this time we've got it fixed it's funny on an episode of accidental tech podcast the thing that's really infuriating is now that they brought back the old keyboards they didn't have to make the laptops thicker to do it the laptops are still just as thin as they've always been and that was kind of the argument is well we want them thinner so we make these low travel keyboards that also if they get a a speck of dust in them. They freeze up.
0: I still remember Schiller up on stage after the touch bar had been introduced and after the butterfly keyboard had been introduced get like the next the 6 months or you know whatever and he was gushing about how wonderful the touch bar was and how wonderful the <laughs> butterfly keyboard stuff was and i'm like yeah right yeah okay right yeah. they were garbage and they i'm surprised that the, i think there were class action lawsuits against them for that weren't there how about
1: the keyboards yeah yeah they now yeah. have a massive recall where when actually I, I had a keyboard that wasn't one of the bad ones but i was able to get it replaced just because i think there's such a stigma right now with the keyboards that you say one thing about the keyboards and you get a new logic board and replacement on your computer.
0: Really? So that's the magic keyword that I should be using?
1: My daughter got honey on my keyboard. (laughs) And yeah, the keys just stuck because, you know, Honey. And it wasn't even one of the bad keyboards. It was one of the good keyboards. But honey, they're still not honeyproof. Mm-hmm. Um and so I just I'm like, I just got this computer and I didn't mention the honey. And yeah, they they replaced uh, the entire top board or whatever it
0: is. Um, well, my only other point about the Apple car is, and this is the, the case with any other car really, is that the infrastructure counts maybe as much as the car does in terms of if you're gonna go on a trip somewhere, are you gonna be able to charge this thing, charge it quickly, and find places where you can charge it? And that is one thing that t- Tesla has done an amazing job. There are supercharging stations all over the place. And VW, the company that you've got your compliance car, as part (laughs) of their settlement for the test cheating stuff that they did, Uh they actually had to build some of the infrastructure in the United States. They had to put in a whole lot of the little electric charging stations, but there still aren't that many of them. And they just... Don't charge nearly as quickly. Yeah. I mean, I have to think, and even
1: though yeah, VW maybe had to help with that, if Tesla could figure out a way to get that financed for all these superchargers, then I mean, Apple has more money than they know what to do with. They could throw money at that problem and start putting into strategic places uh, supercharger type setups. That being said, man, if every car has their own proprietary charging port and uh-huh. people have drawn, you know, the giant lightning port going into the side of the Apple car, I really hope that when it comes to supercharging or whatnot, that there's some sort of a standard that'll emerge, so that you don't have to find the one that works for your model car.
0: Well, that's one thing that I really like that they do in the EU is that every phone that is sold has to work with a USB-C charger. Has to. Mm-hmm. And so, what Apple has to do, for instance, because they ship with the Lightning connectors, is they have to ship an adapter with it <laughs> in order to be in order to be compliant. It's funny. I, I mean, I guess to get around that, they're probably just not going to have any kind of a. They, so they're going to get rid of the charging port altogether or something and do all wireless charging. Which I don't know. I mean,
1: even the. Apple Watch has like a tiny little charging port hidden behind the strap or it's not a charging port, but a diagnostics port. I feel like there has to be some way of connecting to something if the wireless goes. And that being said, um, you know, I've been doing almost entirely Qi charging now for a while and it is much nicer.
0: Well, all right. So let's talk tech for a little bit in terms of yeah. stuff that we've been working on. So what, what kind of projects have you been working on lately in your, your daily mildly geeky grind? What have you been doing? A couple of things.
1: I have that, that NUX site is just about to launch actually this Sunday. We're doing a launch on Sunday morning. So that's gonna be working. Had to try to work with Azure Pipelines to be able to get that to work. You and I were talking about the little bit offline. Man, I really appreciate Buddy. You know, <laughs> we, we, you, we both use buddy.works as the domain yep. for doing continuous integration. Really makes you appreciate how nice the user experience is there on Buddy when you've had to use GitHub Actions is okay, but Azure Pipelines is real tough.
0: GitHub Actions I have approached a number of times, Yep. and I start reading the docs, and I start looking at a couple examples, and then I just am like, nah, and I just close the window because I already have it all working with Buddy, and I really like my setup. Probably at some point in the future, I may do something with it in terms of trying to port it over to GitHub Actions. Mm-hmm. I know it's possible. I know Matt Stein, and there are some other people that have done similar things, and, and nothing against them. It's more against the UX. It just really is not that fun. Fun to put them together. How have you found? Have you done much of any substance with GitHub Actions? No,
1: I, I played with it for a while. I think basic stuff I could get going. But especially with PHP stack and all that, there's just too much that I needed to do that it seemed like was outside of what they could or or would do out of the box. So I haven't gotten too far into it. Azure, to its credit, I could basically do almost everything I wanted. Um, The only thing I haven't figured, no, I mean, I'm doing like full atomic deployments. Basically, you have a whole pipeline that can run Composer and all that. You have to kind of use their weird YAML setup to instruct it on how to do everything. It generates an artifact, which is a zip file of your your build and then i have it doing an SSH copy of that out to the server and doing a SSH command. So I've got all that running. The only big thing that I haven't been able to get going is to trigger all that off the webhook. Mm-hmm. With something like Nuxt, we want to be able to kick off a new static site build whenever someone makes an update to the site. I haven't yet found any way to trigger a pipeline off of something that's not planned. That's the only place. But yeah, the developer experience and ease of getting it up and running is just light years behind what Buddy is.
0: Well, was that a client requirement? Is that why you're using Azure? I would imagine it must be, right? You wouldn't expect uh,
1: that. I mean, so all of their infrastructure is on Azure. Okay. Uh, in staging, I've been running on Buddy because it's what I know and works, but if someday we part ways, if we're not working together, I don't wanna to have to worry, oh my gosh, this entire bank's website can't build without my one little Buddy account intact um so for me it's about lessening my risk and their risk to try to get it all into stuff that they own and you know have the keys to yeah if anyone out there is listening to this and knows how to get an azure pipeline to fire off of a webhook please hit me up because i the, and then the docs are so dense yeah it's it there's not a lot of people trying to do static site generator off of a webhook on azure pipelines
0: i can't imagine patrick <laughs> The Windows world is a different place. Is this the site that we were talking about? So you you were and if there are certain things you can't go into, that's fine. Uh-huh. But there was one site that we were talking about that you were working on that you were telling me that you were making it a static site, which sounds wonderful, but then you were deploying it to a server that's running nginx. Like what why? Why? Well,
1: again, Doing anything in Azure is roasts, and they have their own CDN set up. But you know, you spend time in there, and you're like, oh god, this is going to be awful. Getting the site into their blob storage for static deployment, you
0: know. No, I don't mean that. I don't yeah. mean that. I, I mean, why not just deploy it to Vercel or deploy it to Netlify or something like that? Is that a client requirement again?
1: It's not quite a client requirement as much as at times when you. Are working with a client's IT team, and you start to get really realistic about what you're gonna be able to get done and can't mm-hmm. get done, and maybe there's some things you just don't try to get done because it's just gonna be too much. Yes, I'd love to be able to put it up on Netlify or whatever. That would be heck of a lot nicer. But then there's just a whole lot of red tape to cut through. So for now, we're basically just building it out to a little an Azure VM running Engine X because yeah, it's a static site.
0: Because even with this, the stuff you would need to learn in terms of mm-hmm. learning how to use how to deploy to Vercel or learning how to Mm -hmm. deploy to Netlify, you would still save a whole lot of time over doing this. If there was no red tape,
1: that's exactly what I'd be doing. It's more of, I'm not the one that's making that decision and has to make the case for here's why Netlify is safe and here's the technology landscape I've done of them versus other ones. And why can't we do all this in Azure? And so right now I'm choosing to get it done.
0: We we had a similar thing where the... The client was just like, well, you have a choice. You can do it on our .NET server farm, or you can do it on (laughs) on Heroku. And those are the only two that are approved and you you pick. So we went with Heroku. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because you know? I, I at least have some familiarity with that. And it, it ended up yep. working working out fine, but I get it. I mean, it, the one thing is it would solve that redirect problem that you were talking about with me last time where yeah. you in Netlify and I believe Vercel as well, they've got a UX where you can just enter in whatever redirects you want right in there, mm-hmm. you know, and you're yep. good to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we talked about in the last one, but yeah, essentially I'm proxying uh, on the nginx side. If we can't find a URL. We send it over to Craft so that Retour, your uh, redirect plugin, can do its thing to try to say, is this a a redirect I know about? Yeah, I mean, it was like three lines of Nginx config to basically say, hey, if, if the static file isn't there, send it over to Craft just like you would a a, a non-static site. So work pretty well
0: for myself. I've been just doing mostly some support and and minor updates for my plugins, mm-hmm. and I've also I I keep talking about this Webpack five config, and I just need to get off my ass and write the damn article. Um, yeah, and you
1: did you released something new into the world
0: yesterday? Maybe the get Webpack config. What's that? So one of the big things I think that I learned from doing that initial Webpack four config was that dividing things up in terms of common development and production was probably mm-hmm. not the best way to break things up. Mm. And the reason why I kind of came to that conclusion is that, yes, it does simplify some things, but you end up being kind of unclear about, well, where is this thing? Where does it live? I need to edit something with the post-CSS. Is it in development? Is it in common? Is it in product? Like where? where is the config for this thing? Yeah. And then the other thing is even projects that start out small and start out simple, they almost never mm-hmm. end, end up that way. And yep. while I felt that that was a, an improvement over just one massive config file with conditionals everywhere, I, I came to realize, that it just wasn't, it wasn't great, you know, in terms mm. of maintenance. And that's fine. You know, we, we talked about it many times that a lot of times you build stuff and then you figure out how to build it right. So at least for now, uh, I came up with a, a way of modularizing everything. So instead of separating things by development or production or common, it's separated by function. So okay. here, all of the stuff related to view is over here in this one config. All of the stuff related to post CSS is here in this other config. Mm-hmm. Here's your development config. Here's your production config. And you, you'll end up on your average project, you'll probably end up with about a dozen configs that you use. Yeah. And the thing about Webpack, so a lot of people use Laravel Mix because it's you know, it's yeah. like this easier way to do it. All that Laravel Mix is a programmer interface for generating Webpack configs. Because I've looked at their code, I see what they're doing under the hood. They mm-hmm. have this chaining syntax, and they end up translating that into a Webpack config, into an actual Webpack configuration <laughs> object, and then they just pass it to Webpack. That's, yeah. that's, that's what happens.
1: Code so. to write config yeah
0: well, which is fine like i'm not i'm yeah. not dissing it at all it's basically it's simplifying what you have to do to build a webpack config which is great there's no mm-hmm. no diss it, uh, to that at all but if what you're doing in the end is just writing a webpack config it didn't seem so bad to me if we could break things up into these modular little pieces to just write webpack configs so the basic premise is that each one of these configs is a fully functioning webpack config. It's a webpack configuration object. Like that's what it is. Okay. And the routine you're talking about, the get webpack config is some syntactic sugar, some functions that just make your config files look a lot cleaner. Because what it does is you can just, it takes all of these little configs and it combines them together into one config, and then it passes Mm -hmm. that to webpack. So if you can think about I've got my view webpack config over here. I've got my post CSS webpack config over here. You know, all these little pieces. It uses a core plugin called webpack merge, which does a deep merge and it merges it together. And then you end up with a final config. Any one of these things on their own is a valid config and you can use it. Mm-hmm. But then you mash them all together. And the nice thing about it is that if you need to fix something that is related to CSS, you know where to go. There's one yeah. config and you have only the stuff that deals with CSS there. The other nice thing about it is let's say you, I don't want to use Vue anymore on this project. I want to use React. Okay. Okay. If you had one big webpack config to then go and remove all the little places where Vue was in that config, it's it's like all over the place. It's like, it's like trying to get rid of mole. <laughs> with a modular setup, you just delete one line. You delete nice. one line that says include this config and then you're done. So, yeah. So that's what this little package that I published is, is originally I had it as a a helper function that was built into the boilerplate that I shipped. And then Tim Mm -hmm. Kelty was just like, you know, actually, I think it was on here. It was on one of these live streams, I think, that he was complaining about. He's like, yeah, I don't really want to have any code mixed in. You should make that a package that Mm -hmm. you can then use instead of having the code built in. And my response to him was, well, yeah, but, you know, anything in .js is code, right? (laughs) Like your your webpack.dev.js is code. Yep. But... I thought about it and I thought about it and he was right. He was right. Usual Tim was right. Yep. So I ended up refactoring. Uh, I'm not gonna go that far. I'm not gonna go that far, Tim. But Tim is usually right. Tim, I hope you're listening. So you hear this diss. I'm not gonna go that far. But he was definitely right about this, that it was it, w- it was nice to refactor it out into a package. So now it just yeah. requires a package, and then anyone can use it anywhere they want, and then there's no code that is in there. So I released that on NPM. I don't expect many people to look at that until the full webpack config. And actually the the, the repo for my webpack config is out and done and it's been there for a long time. The only thing that I haven't done is the actual write-up, so I need yeah. I need some motivation, Patrick.
1: <sighs> um, I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, yeah, we all need another five-minute read. So, I, I, how long did it take you to write the the first annotated guide to to Webpack four?
0: I don't know. And I don't really want to know. Oh yeah. yeah, No, that that was not born in a day. This new one, it should in theory take less time to write because Mm -hmm. there's less there. And honestly, the biggest takeaway that I want people to get from it is that even if you're working on a small project, start with any modularized approach Mm -hmm. so that that you can use the same approach on every project. And so that it's easy to scale these things up or down as you need to add or remove stuff to it. And I think that's the most important part, The, the fact that I got everything working on webpack 5 you know that's just like tweaking config and making you know what, what did they change what did they break And all that kind of stuff yep. I don't know I, I would imagine I could probably get it done in a week okay. and, that, and that's not writing it full time for that week that's doing other stuff Yeah, but I did like I knew I kind of wanted to get this package done and out so I did that and I got that out and done and published it so that's one excuse that's out of the way <laughs> so I can't use that anymore <laughs> but I've been working on that and I've been working on that update to image optimize that we'll, we'll spend some time on some other time, Mm -hmm. Um, but that is gonna be fantastic for people. I've got a huge response to people looking at the way that I've got it automatically computing the sizes and the source set and stuff for you. Because it is, yeah. a, it is a giant pain in the ass, even for someone like me that's been doing it for a long time, Yeah, to work your way backwards and figure out how all these images should be done. So I've been, I've been doing that too. And a whole bunch of other stuff. I've been doing a, a decent bit of developer training too, which I've been enjoying. Okay,
1: that does sound cool. Uh, what else we got going? Maelstrom. Maelstrom is back in the news.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is um, in my former life. This is a game that I wrote while I was in college, actually. And the majority of it is in 68K Assembler. That's how old (laughs) we're talking. That's like a long time ago. And in part, I remember I was motivated to write it because there was some guy on some Usenet forum was saying that Macs were too slow to do the full color animation thing. And I was just like, Mm -hmm. you know what? I'm going to prove someone on the internet wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I went out and uh, I built it. It The majority of it was in 68K assembler and it was a lot of fun. It was super popular. You, You know, now it looks like a joke, but... It was really popular back uh, back in the day. And the fun thing about it is I was approached by a guy named, a guy named Sam Latinga. And okay. he said, hey, you know, I love this game. I want to use it for my master's thesis. I'm working on this thing called the uh, SDL, Simple Direct Media Layer, which is okay. his way. He wanted a cross-platform way to write a game. So you could run it on Mac, on Windows, on Linux, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just, um, <laughs> I don't mind you doing it. That's fine. But it's all an assembler. Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, um, yeah, okay, you know, I'll, I'll do it anyway. So I just dumped him the code yep. and it ended up being his PhD thesis and he released yeah. it under STL, and it's out there and he just updated it so that it <laughs> will work on modern Mac. 18 years, he said, after the last release or the initial release or whatever, he updated it so that it will work on modern Macs now, as well as Linux and Windows and like, mm-hmm. there are a couple other weird OSs that it runs on too. That's pretty wild, pretty fun. That's crazy. Yeah, very cool. And I think he worked he worked at Blizzard for a really long time. He may still work there. I don't know. Have your kids played Maelstrom? I think I think I got them I know they looked at videos of it. And I want to say that someone had a version of it that ran cuz it's open source. I open sourced the whole thing a long time ago. Yep. I want to say that they played a version on an iPad. I want to say? I don't know. Okay. But I did, oh, I did send it yeah. to my, the link to my kid. And I was just like, Hey, yeah. you should download it and run this. And he's just like, you know, maybe you should, um, you should rewrite this yourself using modern technology. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, I think I said, mm, maybe someday or something like that. Yeah.
1: yeah I went to school with a guy, his dad, you remember the game Choplifter? Oh, remember that I one? love
0: that game.
1: Yeah, I went to school with the guy. His father was the one that did that. Yeah, that was a cool game. That was, uh, yeah, it was his entire claim to fame. I don't know. He would like bring it at a parties, like, "Oh, my dad did shoplifting." It never really worked,
0: but what was yeah, he it was a sweet to, game. What was he hoping to gain by bringing? That I up? don't know. I don't know. We we were indoor <laughs> kids. We you know
1: we that was all we had. Oh
0: my God! I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna have to educate my kids now and be like, "Look, if you are ever at a party and you think about like <laughs> mentioning this about your dad, it's like, don't." My dad don't. made esomatic. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Don't, 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 don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> <sighs> we gone for we gone for about an hour. I mean, I think yeah. we can uh, say that that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. I have every episode sent to your favorite podcast player. I'm doing this from memory. Patrick, like, subscribe, share with a friend, spam people, do something, yeah. right? Or check us that. on YouTube. This oh, right. very
1: episode was broadcast live on YouTube. Keep an eye on the Twitter feed. We'll announce when when they are. And if you want, yeah, throw it right up. Yeah, it's a good time.
0: Yeah, and we're still getting our getting our feet wet with the whole YouTube thing, but it seems to be working all right. And uh, one of my yeah. favorite things, honestly, is when people are watching it and they ask questions live, you know? That's one of my favorite yeah. things. <laughs> We got Ryan. Ryan Ireland <laughs> is in here watching the stream. He's
1: looking at my camera, wondering if I have jaundice. I need. I need a new camera.
0: I can give you a shopping list if you want. <laughs> I might. Yeah. Mark says, "Great background noise." That is what I aspire to be: is back, <laughs> background noise.
1: <laughs> I turn on my space heater.
0: Hopefully. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna stop the recording now. And that. And we are going off air. Cool. And I guess I have to hit end broadcast.